Welcome to Churchpreneur's Podcast. My name is Richard Moore. I'm your host and informant for everything church, theology, and faith-related. Churchpreneur's vision is to accelerate the church in mission, vision, and effectiveness in fulfilling the Great Commission in our communities. Churchpreneur's hopes to embolden people to fulfill the Great Commission beyond their own borders into the rest of the world within this generation. In this podcast, I talk about everything that is moving me in relation to church and theology, hopefully to empower you and your ministry, church, Bible study, theological understanding, and most importantly, your personal growth in Christ. On this special episode of Churchpreneurs, I'm going to present to you guys a live stream I did in which I did a quick introduction to hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is just the science of interpretation, the science of Bible interpretation. So I'm calling this episode today, Hermeneutics for Dummies. So hope you enjoy this introduction to hermeneutics and the science of biblical interpretation. So uh, thanks for that. I need to preface myself as well. asked me to do a hermeneutics section in this live chat. So I'm going to try and just kind of run through it. But I have, I've, I went to Bible college and seminary and I haven't, let's say, studied hermeneutics um, since those times. However, I preface to say that, that, that it became sort of like second nature. Um, I just prepared a sermon this last week. And I just sort of know how to do it like it's like it's rote, you know, it, it's like ingrained into to how I prepare, how I read the scriptures. And uh, so uh, let's see where to start. Um, <laughs> hermeneutics, just let's just that, that's a big term, a fancy way of saying the science of interpretation, how we interpret the Bible, uh, what tools we use to to get us to to understand what the text is saying so let me um let me give a real simple easy starter i've got several books here um my office is an office of books i have books on literally every single wall except the one behind me um so i'm a theology nerd if you can't tell um so i've got um these, these are just a smattering of books. I didn't, I just chose the genre, right? I didn't, don't, don't say these are recommendations on anything. They're just genres. Okay. So first I've got a biography. Um, I do recommend this book. However, uh, this is an incredible read. Uh, I don't know if you, anybody's read Bonhoeffer likes Bonhoeffer knows about him. This is a biography. Okay. Just a biography. This is a history, history of Israel. It's a history. Okay. This, maybe some of you know this, um, who have studied or gone to a college or any kind of, uh, this is Turabian, <laughs> um, manual for writers, chime in, anybody, Herman who? Yeah, Herman, exactly, Herman who? Her, it's actually, funny enough, Herman, Herman who? It comes from probably the word Hermes, the, the, god, the Greek god Hermes, who was, uh, uh, how did they put it, uh, ha- had to decipher and uh, understand the writings, the ancient writings. So it's understanding comes from that Greek, um, of understanding, um, the, the a text, an ancient text. It doesn't, it, it's not just scriptural hermeneutics by itself. The word, the term 
is not just uh, the science of interpreting the Bible, although mostly it is, right? When you say hermeneutics, you're talking about um, the science of interpreting the Bible, the process we use to interpret the scriptures. So you got the uh, this great book right here. I'm sure you guys remember and love that book, right? Um, you got this book, German to English Dictionary, the dictionary, okay? I use this a lot. It's well used. Uh, I'm pretty good in German now, but... Um, and then I've got... Uh, this is a youth ministry resource. Have you ever? It's just a little booklet on a discussion starter, right? So have you ever had a perfect day? Just getting youth to start talking, discussion starters, um, etc. So that's what that book is. They're all different genres. Yeah, all of them. I'm not going to read this autobiography about Bonhoeffer as the in the same way I'm going to read this book over here, right? Um, I'm not going to read the dictionary the same way I'm going to read this book. I'm not going to read this book. I don't read this book, uh, the Turabian. <laughs> I just refer to it so I don't get my papers wrong. Remember? <laughs> Remember? Did y'all do that? Anybody chime in? I'd love. Oh, love reading Bonhoeffer. Yeah, that was a great book. I'm not going to read this history book, the history of Israel, in the same way I'm going to read poetry, isn't that awesome? So uh, you're just not going to read each genre of literature in the same way you're going to read another genre of literature. They're just different. And so you have to apply certain, and you do it sort of automatically. I don't know, as adults who read books, if you picked up one of these books, they're, they're glaring in my light. But if you picked up one of these books, you would sort of know automatically how to read this guy right here, right? I mean, if you just kind of glanced at it, looked at it, and you, oh, okay, this is just a fun conversation starter. I don't read this cover to cover. It's more of a reference book. You might read this cover to cover. I could hardly put it down. Um, this is great bedtime reading. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna uh, you're gonna want to put this down probably. Right? <clears throat> so that's just a fun way to say different genres have different uh, uh, styles of reading, and we do it sort of automatically. The Bible is made up of many many genres of literature, sixty six books, uh, at least five genres of literature within its pages. And so the Psalms, for instance, are going to be much more, much differently handled than the Gospels, let's just say. Um, Genesis ought to be handled way different than revelatory scripture, like Revelation. And so um, let me just open my document here. That's just a little bit of a, sort of a introduction. Hermeneutics is just the, um, the science of interpretation, the science we apply to interpretation. Um, I would like to point out Jesus is the ultimate hermeneutic. Um, the main point of hermeneutics is to come to understand the author's original intended meaning. Um, what were the writers of poetry trying to get it get at, right? What was David trying to get at in Psalm 
51 when you know his his famous uh after Bathsheba story right um what are they what are they trying to get at what are the writers of the history trying to get at so you've got the gospels those are historical narrative for the most part right there's parable mixed in there's all sorts of other genres mixed in to those gospel accounts but their point throughout the gospel records is to record right and so uh that's what hermeneutics is seeking to find out context is king Within hermeneutics, the scriptures interprets the scriptures. So for the most part, when you go to a text, you're going to be able to tell the simple meaning of the text from the context itself. Our style of preaching, unfortunately, has evolved into a self-help talk for the most part. And so guys will pluck scriptures out of their context which is okay in a on occasion right um but for the most part you need to leave the things in their context it's like i mean you could read a passage of this book and i take bonhoeffer book and i'd read a passage of the book but it's sometimes if you take a sentence out of here and uh, you'd say like, well, wait, that doesn't make sense because it's not in its context. Um, so same thing goes for other uh, works of literature. Um, and, and so context is king and scripture ought to interpret itself. So that's a big tip right away. Most of the problems of, of understanding text come from not looking at the context. So, um, scripture will interpret itself. And if it, if scripture doesn't interpret itself in the immediate context, you create a circle of context. Let me explain that. Uh, so I'm pulling up all my old Bible college going back way back. This is like the way back machine. Um, so, uh, what you do, what, what hermeneutics, uh, seeks to do is to, uh, create circles of context. So there's the immediate context, the verse itself, the words in the verse, yeah, and you can find come to some of the uh, author's intended meaning right in the verse itself. Sometimes it's not ultimately clear right in the verse itself. Then you draw a circle broader. You make make a bigger circle. Then uh, you go to the let's say the two three verses immediate verses right around its context. Then you go, you say, well, it's still not. Hmm. We need to get some more perspective, right? I think of things like Romans 9. Romans 9 is hefty, first of all. If you're, uh, if you're not Reformed or you're coming into Reformed theology, go to Romans 9, you think, whoo, you have to do some real, real dealing if you're reading Romans 9. Anyways, then you, but you say, well, man, it's, it's hard to understand that and get a fuller picture. So then you broaden out to Romans the book of Romans, right? That gives you a broader context of the whole. Then you may have to sort of look at Pauline writings to get a big, bigger, fuller picture on the broader, deeper context. Then you may have to go to New Testament, draw another circle of context around the New Testament. Then you go to the whole of Scripture. The Scripture interprets, it, interprets itself, and Jesus and, and, the, and the New Testament writers were, were perfect at this. You see them quoting the scriptures 
thus it says, or it is written, or so-and-so. And they, they let the scriptures interpret themselves. So context is king, and that's how context is king. Um, so when we approach the scriptures, I'll just give you, for instance, I preach this week, and I'd love to kind of go through my own process just to kind of give you an overview, a snapshot of what I do to prepare a sermon. Um, but first thing I did was pray. You come to a text, you lay the scriptures right on you. I remember this distinctly from my exegesis class. You have to spend time in prayer. Lord, reveal your word to me. Speak it to me. Show me what you want me to know about you from this, this word. It is your holy word. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's what you got to do. Um, and, and so uh, Jesus was the greatest interpreter of the scripture. Like I said, he quoted scripture. Thus it's, it's written. But interesting, you think about Jesus' temptation. Jesus' temptation, Satan also quoted scripture. What did he do? He twisted it. Um, and so um, Jesus is the interpreter, the great interpreter. Um, let's see. Uh, just moving on real quick. Um, what you want to do is you want to look at the context. You want to look at the author. You want to look at the readers who was re- who would read that. So the Roman, the book of Romans was written to the Romans, right? Who were they? Um, what, what happened to them when they received the letter? You know, those type of things are very helpful and interesting to, to look at. The intention of the author. What did the author intend? Um, let's see here. Um, where, where I, sorry, where are my notes here? Uh, yeah, the occasion. What was the occasion of writing? Why did these guys write? Um, what's the what's the emphasis, right? The place where they write from, where they write to, time, what time they wrote, what what's the what's the uh, thing happening uh, at the, in those times, the manner of writing, what style again, what style of literature? You're going to read this differently than you read um, uh, the Book of Romans, right? This is going to be a much different read than the Book of Romans. So there's the the literal interpretation, um, and the literal interpretation tries to find the plain meaning. And, that, and let's say the Reformed tradition, most of, let's say, Christian traditions seek to um, work in that category, uh, a, a literal interpretation, um, just the plain meaning of the text. Um there's the, then the typological or the allegorical interpretation. Everything's allegorical in the text. Um, now, there is some, let's say, precedent for this. There's Christ's life. Uh, most of the Old Testament um, are types and shadows of Jesus. They're uh, previews of what will come, let's say, right? So... Um, um, I'm thinking of uh, the snake being lifted up in the wilderness. That's a type because the New Testament also throws it back to the Old Testament and says that is or was a type. The the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness, just, as the, ser- just as, the, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that's a type or shadow. Then there's a moral or 
or uh, moral interpretation, tropological. Um, don't worry about all the big words. We're just going to tell you what they mean. Um, <laughs> it's ethical or moral lessons that we can draw. Now, there is also precedent for this because there's moral teaching in the scriptures. So parables fall under this. Book of Proverbs falls into this category. Wisdom, literature, etc. Um, you don't want to take a literal interpretation um, of, let's say, oh, what was the most recent thing? Um, um, uh, one of the famous uh, preacher's sons, I'm not going to name names on this, we'll just go for it, uh, was saying, the Bible doesn't say, on his, t- on his uh, uh, TikTok platform, the Bible doesn't say that, uh, that we should, the Bible doesn't want us to have kids. It's in Ecclesiastes or something like that. It's... It's it's a you got to interpret the Bible in a different way. Quiver full of children doesn't mean you have a bunch of arrows. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. So we have to interpret those things with different. So then the anagogic or the mystic interpretation is what I believe the NAR does for the most part. They take all the scriptures and they don't adjust their interpretive method to the style of literature that it is. Does that make sense? Exactly. And I think it's this style for the most part. The anagogic or mystic interpretation deals with the future events of history, eschatology, heaven, everything supernatural, purgatory, hell, all the and all that type of stuff. Last judgment. Um, then you think about uh, numerology. Um, and what was big years ago was the Bible code. Uh, that's been That's been years ago now, but the Bible code... And maybe some of y'all in the in the chat or in, who watch now will have remembered that, um, which said there was there was a code that we had to interpret in between every number, every seventh Hebrew number spelled something or so and so and such and such. It was a more mystical approach to the scriptures, where there's some deep hidden meaning within the layers. The perspicuity of scripture is is dumbed down into individual interpretation. So the the uh reformers won back for us again individual interpretation we're allowed to we're able to you don't need a special intermediary to understand the scriptures for yourself so uh perspicuous scripture just fancy way to say we're able to individually interpret it and understand it um and, and so that's the that's what that means. I'll just give you a, a real quick, help, helpful way to do it. Who, what, where, when, and why, how, and how much? Ask those questions. Ask those questions. You become better and better at it. Let me just jump into, I got lots of more notes here, but let me try to just show you guys what I've done. I'm going to share my screen here. I use Logos Bible software. It's really, really helpful. It's not, you don't have to have it. You don't have to use it, but I'll just show you kind of my process. So I had the text of uh, John 21, 1 through 14, the incredible fish catch of 153 fish. There's a lot here. So first of all, it's a story. So I look at it with a lens. I'm not going to look at the Greek as much in detail. I will, but it's a story. It's a historical narrative. So I need to preach it like a historical narrative. This is what happened, right? So I'm looking at the text um, and I do want to look at the Greek, and I'll and I'll show you a few things. So, uh, exegetical guide here. I'm looking at the Greek, and I realize Jesus. Just give you a for instance of the Greek I noticed. 
Jesus, uh, let's see if I can get to it, it uh, approaches them on the shore and he asks the question, do you not have any fish? It just was interesting. I thought he asked the question in the negative, right? So I go to my Greek. Does he ask the question in the negative? And he does, right? So I go to my Greek over here in my exegetical guide and he asked the question in the negative. And I think that's interesting. Why would he ask the question in the negative? Then I start asking questions. Why, 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 why? And of course he knows why, or he knows that they don't have any fish. They fished all night. Then you let the scriptures from there interpret themselves. And this is the second time that these fishermen <laughs> have, have fished all night long and not caught a thing. Right? And it shows how truly, truly dependent they are on the, on the Lord Jesus Christ and his care for them, his provision, right? These are professional fishermen. So I, then I, I let the scripture interpret itself. I go, to, I go to the other passage where they had a wonderful fish catch. First of all, in the first one, uh, Peter says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, Remember? And then I come to this one, but he jumps out of the boat, puts his cloak on, jumps out of the boat and runs to Jesus, just as the resurrected Jesus. So when we are confronted with our sin, you know, see, these are the wonderful things that come out of the text by themselves. I, this happened on the Lake of Tiberias. I thought, wait a minute, that's the Sea of Galilee, right? It is. It's the same thing. So a text can be confusing if you just look at it right away and don't, well, Lake of Tiberias, where's that? It's the it's Tiberius on the southwest side of of the Sea of Galilee. It's a city that's still there today. You can go. This is a, so. This is a historical thing that took place at Tiberius. Does that make sense? So you you can. These are wonderful things. This thing actually happened, and this is where it happened. It says this this happened after Jesus was rose rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples a third time. They're counting right. There's 153 fish catch. Then I notice in the text that 153 fish are caught, and it says, and the nets were not broken. See, I'm, I'm looking up here, and uh, if you can see on my on this small, if you're looking on a computer screen, chapter uh, 21, verse 9 says, although they caught so many, the nets were not torn. John, they were these guys were fishermen. Their nets should have torn at 153 fish, and I did the math. Each fish, about uh, five to ten kilogram. I'm doing kilogram because I preached in German. So five to ten kilogram times 150 is 1,500 kilograms. That's the weight of a car. The average weight of a car. Just do those things, right? Think about the text on those. Th that's the detail. This is historical narrative. This actually happened. So you look at historical narrative like it actually happened. That's 153 fish. How much was that? That's a lot of fish. How much does each fish weigh? Huh. Right? Look at each detail. Um, and then the fish were um, already prepared. They had caught 153 fish. Jesus says, come and eat. And he already had fish on the fire and bread ready for them. Very interesting, right? What? Where'd the fish come from? He's Jesus. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, so these are very th interesting things. This is uh, why 
We need to look deeper, right? There's deeper things we can find by just observing it like you would another text, right? You're reading a story of Bonhoeffer and you you want to go back and look at the detail. Oh, that's interesting. That happened this way and that way. And it was on the Sea of Tiberias and there was 153 fish and so forth and so on. All right, I'm going to stop the share. That's my process. Just a little look, a glimpse into my process. I didn't look much at the Greek this week, although I did uh, for, for like curios. I looked at the, because they used curios in this in this uh, uh, section two times, calling him the Lord. Curios is the the term for the sovereign Lord. No one's above him, and it's like for instance, they used to uh, Romans used to call uh, Caesar is curios. And Christians would not do it because Jesus was Lord. That was the first Christian um, um, confession. Jesus is Lord. So um, that uh, I looked at the Greek a little bit, but not much, not as much because it's a um, historical, you know, I would look at the Greek within like Colossians, right? <laughs> or or Ephesians, right? right? I mean, you need to look at the Greek in some of those, especially with Paul, because he's a run-on Senate's king. That guy, he's a Greek nightmare. Um, So you got to look at the Greek. So uh, all this to say, uh, this is the process, um, but uh, an exegesis is the pulling out of the text. So we understand exegesis versus eisegesis, or we like to say, I guess, in our group, narcissesis, where you put uh, narcissistic tendencies that you are the center of the text. That's not, you know, it's not how we ought to do it. <laughs> you're not the center. You're not David, famously, right? Uh, you're the uh, uh, fearful Israelites, right? So exegesis is the pulling out of the meaning from within the text itself, not putting our preconceived notions onto the text, which is eisegesis. Exegesis mean, means from, from within, pull from within with to pull it out. So... Whew, okay, I'll take a breath. I think uh, that's probably a good start. The Reformation won for us the incredible opportunity to have the scriptures in our own hands for it to be able to be interpreted by anyone at any time in any place the perspicuity of trip of scripture that's great and and, and they complement one another right they complement one another you you come with your week of study uh, in the scriptures as much time as you can put to it and he puts his 20 hours hopefully your pastor's put in 20 to 30 hours of a week into his sermons uh, i did this week and i had more time actually uh so i put in about 20 to 40 hours um, and plus I had to translate into German, so <laughs> it was tough, but, uh, yeah, y- y- you can do this. It's doable. And the more you get good at it, the better you'll become at it. Um, I had a, a book I would recommend introduction to biblical hermeneutics by Walter C. Kaiser and Moises Silva. I haven't read it myself, but, uh, it comes from a pretty reliable source. So, um, I recommend it with, um, let's say, with that caveat that I've not personally read it. Like I said, this has been 20 years since I've read on the subject of hermeneutics, right? 
Um, and I just sort of do it as a, like a second nature. Um, and my problem actually is that I sort of tend to do it in my devotional time. I'll read it, this, the text, and I'll sort of, um, put my pastoral exeg I'll, I'll, I'll check to Jesus before I wreck to Jesus. Right. I mean, um, that's uh, a joke, but it's also probably at the same time, I do too much exegesis on those times and not just enough devotional reading where I just let the Lord just speak through the text to me without doing a sermon preparation. Oh, that would be a great sermon, right? <laughs> Anyways, so just the who, what, where, when, why, how, how much, those are all great questions. So let's leave it at that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Churchpreneur's Podcast. You can find out more information at my website at richardpmore.net. I also blog at richardpmore.blogspot.com. You're welcome to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at richardpmore23. You can also email us at churchpreneurs at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for a podcast or any comments or questions, please reach out on one of those platforms. God bless you. Until next time, take care. Thank you.